Um, and we are recording. Cool. So I think today we wanted to talk about how we would assess higher education, thinking about benefits, thinking about costs, opportunity costs. And, you know, both of us have been to college. Both of us have gotten higher education at um, expensive schools, though, in different ways. Um, and I guess, uh, yeah, let's, let's jump into it. So what are your, how, how would you think about higher education if you had to do it all over again? Well, I mean, I guess one framework, if we think about it, is this a worthwhile investment? Should you go to college? And if you do how, like how should you approach it as a 18 year old or an adult? And I think we can look at benefits and costs. So like any investment, and I guess for benefits, I think there's several benefits that you can come out of college. One is just, you'll make more money, hopefully in your career, if you went to college. Now, I'm not commenting on whether it's true or not, but that's at least one. Another one is you gain some knowledge that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Another one is you get some skills you haven't, wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Otherwise you get a social network and finally, you gain certain values or certain moral values, basically. And so the question is, which of these benefits is most interesting to talk about, most important, and which of those is the most dubious that you might get today in today's colleges, and which is the most obvious or good, you know, solid that you'll get today? Yeah, that's a nice framework. I think that. Um... So one of the benefits you mentioned of college is, is higher pay. And I guess that's through a combination of things. It's through a combination of getting knowledge, getting a network, uh, getting si a signal that you were accepted to this college and that you graduated. Um, and, uh, and I, I guess you know, skills, you could think of skills as separate from knowledge. So so these are these are different, um, you know, benefits, and maybe it's good to think about first, like this very tangible thing, which is increased pay, um, since it's so tangible. And you know, obviously there is higher pay from from college for, for college graduates. Um, I guess people have probably studied what what is the how do you allocate that increase in pay to these different measures, um, but it's actually difficult because you know you have this. Um, Sorry, how do you allocate that increase in pay to the different benefits of college? Um, you know, how much is allocated to the signaling power of college versus how much is allocated to the actual skills and knowledge that you gain? And I think that one of the problems with doing this sort of analysis uh, to date has been that there is such a high um, multicollinearity or correlation between the people who go into college and, or, you know, higher uh, more prestigious colleges and and their abilities, and so it's hard to tease out the, the whether the the effect of higher pay is due to a person's greater level of ability or whether they you know attended uh, more prestigious uh, university. Um, I, I, have have you seen kind of studies like that, or are you aware of differences in how do you allocate the the uh, benefits of of uh, colleges that way? I haven't studied the issue. Mm -hmm. The signaling issue suggests that college has no value in terms of actually going to college. It has value because you can say, I was selected into this college. 
Um, and that would mean that you can just not go. Just the fact that you were admitted is enough or maybe finished, I don't know, to some extent. But we know that it's very easy to finish once you're admitted. The hard thing is to get admitted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would say, okay, well, if you went to a really good college, if you went to Stanford, maybe if you didn't go to Stanford, you would have gotten a great job anyway. You would have, and the gap in salaries we, we see between college graduates and high school graduates just reflects innate qualities that they have already or lack already. And it's not that you went to college. You could have just not gone to college and would have done just fine. And there's yeah. no way to know because it's self-selection. There's no randomized experiment right. that does that. Right. And, you know, one thing that I, I've kind of wondered is when people present their bios and, and their resumes, they generally say what college they attended and graduated from. And they generally don't say what colleges they were admitted to but did not attend. Um, I, I, I experimented in this a little bit and I... I uh, put on my resume institution that I was admitted to, but did not attend. Um, it makes sense. Um, you know, if you attend, like if you attend, a, you know, an uh, institution that's not very well, well known of, um, you know, so why, why can't you just, but, but people don't really, do people do this? People don't do it, I guess, right? So why don't they do it? Um, that's kind of a separate, separate topic. But um, I mean, related to this question about signaling, you know, recently there's been a lot of um, online education, like for computer science and data science and skills like that, where you truly can get very well educated on on these topics without any expensive, you know, college or, or university. Um, and I think that from this, we will see whether you know, it, it'll really show what, it, is there any return to college if you want to study computer science? Um, and I think that I, there I'm is. Skeptical. I think you can, you can just take professional certificates or show your coding work and that's enough Yeah. to get yeah. in. And then you need to build a reputation within the community as a good coder or whatever. But I think with professions where it's clear if you're doing good work or not, it's easy to measure. Yeah then that's the least likely where colleges would actually matter. But the professions where it's harder to measure, it's about social network or image or whatever, then colleges would matter the most. Right. When we were in college, investment banking was like the thing. I don't know if it still is. And I do think that's an example where it's really hard to measure, at least in the beginning, Mm. what your contribution is because you're just doing something that put anybody else who's mildly intelligent not to disinvest in banking, but it's really PowerPoint presentations and pitch books and stuff like that. And if you work hard, you, you'll do it. That's great. Mm-hmm. But um, can you really say you're better than others? Can you really independent, get an independent judge to say, oh, this person's work is better than another person's work? So I, I guess all this comes down to, um, you know, how testable is a job? Like there are certain jobs where you can you can give a test and it'll it'll tell with a high degree of certainty whether the person is is how good they are, and in those types of jobs, um, doesn't really matter I guess where you're educated so much. Um, if you're educated online, you can it, it can help you gain the skills to to do well in the test. For investment banking, I guess you could devise a test, um, 
that, you know, about basic finance skills, basic Excel skills, and people can, you know, you can hire people based on how well they do in that test. And you can get trained to do well in that test from online education. So like, why doesn't this exist? I mean, why, why aren't um, investment banks going out to, well, to, any, to just the world and, and posting, hey, you know, anyone take this test and we will give investment banking jobs to the, the highest scores. They don't do that. Um, and if they did do that, it would make sense because, well, they would probably be able to pay lower, lower, uh, lower rates. So I don't really understand why they don't do that. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, we can look at the decision makers and who makes the decisions. Yeah. They themselves have gone to college. If social networking is really important, then maybe college acts like a social club where the restriction of admission makes it so once I'm interviewing people from college, when I go to campus, if I'm an investment banker, then I know I'm going to find the people that I like at least out of them. Whereas if I take a test, then the person might know a lot about finance because they took a test and did well, but I don't know if they can create a social network like I like or fit in within my network. That's going to okay. be harder to measure. So I guess there are two issues there. Um, like one is, you know, whether the applicant's own social network from their university can benefit my investment bank. And two is whether culturally they're going to fit in with my investment bank, given that their, their culture, which was taught to them by their university, uh, you know, might or might not be a fit for my investment bank. So were you referring to both of those factors or one more than the other? Can you repeat them? I'm sorry. So like one, one was like one factor, like when you talk about the social network, Yes. I mean, so one is like a person's, an applicant's social network can benefit the investment bank. And no, two, no, and two is that the applicant like kind of learned some social norms. Yes. that's the one. And so then they can fit into my investment bank. So that's okay. I mean, it, it sounds pretty, the thing about that, I mean, I, I get that. Um, I think that I can, I can see that for, for, from the perspective of college athletes, that college athletes have a certain culture and somehow that might help them perform well at investment banks. Um, this kind of team attitude, this kind of like working hard attitude. I don't know, I'm just, just kind of guessing. But aside from that, um, I kind of feel that, you know, the, the culture in an investment bank is actually very different from the culture in a college. So how can it be that the culture you, you, you kind of participated in a college helps you do well at an investment bank? Is well, I mean, you, you go to internships, you go to all the stuff you're supposed to do before you actually apply for a job. Mm -hmm. So you, you do you try to do internships, you go to networking events, you meet people who have worked in alumni who have worked in investment banks, and that's how you learn to do it. Yeah. Yes, I mean, most of the classes you take in college probably won't come into play in your job, nor will most of this, I guess some of the social events might, because you might meet people in your college who will be working in banking and so on. Mm -hmm. But yes, I mean, a lot of the experience would not matter for the actual job, but you are able to be in a position where 
So if you had gone to our, if you had not gone to our college or a college similar, you wouldn't have been able to meet all these investment banking individuals. You wouldn't have been able to meet consulting people at all. And so you you won't you can apply, but nobody's going to look at your application at all. Right, right, right. I, so we were just talking about the benefit to the investment bank of the applicant's social network. Now you're talking about the benefit to the applicant of their own social network and the ability to to get a job. And I think that's, you know, it's indisputable that, that there is a benefit. I mean, over the long run, like, it, over the long run, I mean, if there are better ways of determining whether a candidate is good, then the value of the social network could, could diminish. And, and you, you'd imagine that for computer science, the social network is less important than it is for investment banking. I guess, I guess your hypothesis is kind of that, like in in for jobs where the ability of this the applicant is more like testable and concrete, uh, the social network is less important. The social network to which the uh, applicant belongs is less important, um, and and everything else is less important, right? I mean, um, so. So I guess, you know, the extent to which things are, are like testable varies from job to job. Um, you can look at, um, if you just look at investment bank, if you look at the value for investment bank, you can look at quant jobs and sales jobs and see the differences. Mm -hmm. And I'd imagine for quant jobs where you did your PhD, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it doesn't matter. I'm not sure. You don't need a PhD, so it's different. So you can do your undergrad wherever you want, just as long as you get into a PhD program. And it's, my guess, it's pretty geographically limited. So if you apply to a bank in Chicago, then they'll interview mostly Chicago people. They wouldn't, and they wouldn't visit campus. You know, they wouldn't like have a lot of networking events and things like that because it, yeah. Because you, I mean, I guess the distinction would be client facing versus not client facing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I would think. But that's not, um, we have to think about how much call it costs today, you know? Yeah. And yes, you can take a loan for almost any amount, mm -hmm. uh, at least in the US, but, um, but the cost of college is really, really high. So you have to think, well, how many years will I have to work at a high paying job, quote unquote, to be able to recoup that investment? And how many years do I have to pay my college loan back uh, just to get into certain kinds of jobs. I mean, the minority of students end up in these types of prestigious jobs right out of the gates, out of, out of graduating college. The minority of students will end up investing in banks or consulting or other places that would like a degree and a social networking thing. Most students will go to grad school or some of them will start a business. Some of them will go to a company you've never heard of. Um, hopefully they have a job. So it's unclear. Yes, the minority of students might benefit a lot from the social networking aspect, but I don't think the majority of them will. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, if you're looking purely based on you know the financial return um, for a liberal arts college, according to you, it, it may be that uh, only you know a minority are are getting uh, are getting that financial return. Um, maybe it's 10, 20%. We don't, we don't really know exactly. Um, 
but I guess uh, you don't know, right? Before you enter the college in many parts, like whether you're going to be in that minority or in the majority. And so the expected value is even lower just because it's, you know, maybe there's only a 10 or 20% chance you'll be able to get the, reap the benefit yourself. And it's also a problem, which is that I think a lot of people face this problem, which is that they get to the college and they feel like, okay, now that I've made this investment now, because of that sunk cost, I want to get maximum value out of this investment. And I feel like if I don't get that investment banking job, then I've wasted something. I've kind of wasted my time, wasted money. And so I think psychologically, even some people go for these high paying lucrative opportunities um, because they feel they have to take advantage of the unique opportunity afforded to them. Um, not necessarily because that is what is best for them, which I think is a problem with college. Yeah, so you wouldn't necessarily want to work for a bank. I mean, but it's so expensive to go to college. You're like, oh, I better justify the investment. Yeah. Look away. Yeah. Well, I guess what I'm struck by is the, although the prices of college, price of college has increased, um, it's arguable that the quality of education has not or deteriorated, if anything. Nobody's saying the quality of education has increased, even if you're very, very, very positive about the college education experience. So hmm. there is a divorce between the cost and the, and the educational benefit. And I guess you could say, okay, well, colleges are just capturing most of the economic effect of going to college. If going to college gives you something economically, colleges are just capturing more and more of that margin. And that's what they're doing. But at the same time, it seems odd in the marketplace that you'd have a, pro a product that's having exponential increases or just very high increases in prices, a lot more than inflation. Mm -hmm. And if the quality of it is not increasing, it's even decreasing in a lot of cases. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that, that the quality of college is is probably not, in real terms, it's not increasing at all. Or, I mean, maybe in certain areas, you know, where there's a lot of, you could argue that, you know, in computer science, there have been a lot of developments in the last, uh, you know, couple of decades. And so the value you get from a computer science degree has increased relative to what it was in, in the past. But that's, you know, small increases on the margin and only for certain, uh, certain majors. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, I definitely agree that the, it, it's one of the few industries where the, the price has exceeded, the growth in the price has exceeded the growth in the quality. I mean, you could argue that's happening in, um, in healthcare, but it's, 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 a little, it's, it's a lot easier to make the argument in education, I think, than in healthcare, because at least in healthcare, we've gotten new drugs and uh, you know, new services. Um, offered to people. And so, you know, it has to be that there's something wrong um, in, in the industry that's causing this. Um, it's probably something to do with, with, with the, the payment for college. I mean, it, if people paid for college without debt, probably the price wouldn't increase so quickly. You know, you see this disconnect between value and price in cases where people do not have the kind of intellectual capacity to 
make proper valuation decisions about what they're buying. And that happened during the housing crisis where people didn't really know what the value of the house was. And in, in this education possible crisis where it's very hard for people to know what the, what the proper price for college is. Um, yeah. and the housing was even easier because you, you think, okay, well, maybe I can sell it this way because there's comparables. And yes, I mean, it, it was kind of crazy after a while because most of the price increases were driven by people who were taking loans that they shouldn't have, taking mortgages they shouldn't have. They could never pay it back. Mm-hmm. And at some point it was going to stop. But here, right. even in the best of situations, how would you determine the value of college? It's mm-hmm. your lifetime earnings. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, that's very hard to predict, yes. even if you have data. And the fact that anybody, so if you look at the market for college loans, um, where I live, there's a company, it's a credit card company that everybody knows. And they provide one of the few companies that still provide private college loans. There's a very less than 10% of the market for college loans is private. And the, app, the people who get approved for those are much, much better credit scores and financial situation than the average, app, the average applicant for a loan for college. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lot of loans that are guaranteed not through, by the government, not through credit worthiness, then there's a lot of money sloshing around. And so if colleges can continue increasing tuitions and people are willing to take more and more loans, that is one ex- viable explanation for why the price of colleges increased without an increase in quality. Mm-hmm. Colleges don't need to necessarily increase quality because people are continuously willing to take out loans um, and then pay them back later or never. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... I think that like what I would really love to see is more competition, real competition for, for colleges. I mean, you know, like we've been talking about, you can get a lot of the value you get out of college from through your computer using online courses. You can get a lot of the value. Uh, and so if it's really seen as a competing option for a larger percent of the population, then you will see a competitive effect on colleges and they will have to be forced to compete um, or shut down. Um, and, you know, like what, what's standing in the way of that true competition or fair competition is uh, like a perception problem partly, which is that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of felt by parents, it's felt by children who are the children of their parents that, you know, we have to, we have to kind of have aspirations and we have to aim high and aiming high and having aspirations is just synonymous with attending a college and sometimes a prestigious expensive college. And if we can untie those, uh, that relationship, um, then, you know, online courses, we'll be able to compete fairly with college. Um, until then it, the competition is not fair. I mean, online courses can be a hundred times better ROI and still people will opt to go to the college. Um, so I don't know what's going to, I mean, what do you think about this, this cultural issue? It's definitely a problem, but I do think maybe the top colleges, whatever you want to like the top, whatever 50 can credibly say that, okay, if you come to this college, come to Harvard, then that's the American dream. That's, an achievement, but I don't think that the average person, I think it's much less 
credible anymore. I mean, I do, you look at colleges as an industry and it is, seems to be shrinking. I mean, there are colleges are closing. We should get data on this before we actually say that. But I, I do think as an industry, it, it does, it, more and more people are questioning the viability of college. A lot of people are doing community college for two years and then go. A lot of people are um, obviously going to their state schools and a lot of people are um, either not going at all or saving up the money and then going, going part-time or something. So I do think, the, I mean, the market is working slow, more slowly than it should, but, you know, a lot of majors that are not associated with success are being eliminated, um, you know, or not hiring people in those majors and so on. So it's part of it, but I think there is a big perception problem and it, it's worth getting data on the segments of the population that think college is essential for success. And I bet it's the, it's gonna be correlated with wealth. So the more wealthy you are right now, the more you think your kids have to go to college to be successful. Mm. And that's what probably drives the bulk of the tuition increase. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah. Like when, when you have a real budget constraint and college is not really uh, an option, you're gonna to have to look at your other options. Um, and then you'll be pleasantly surprised when you see that there are other options. But if you're rich, you don't have to look for other options. If you um, think you're rich, if you think, you know, right, if you think, right. oh my gosh, I'm denying my kids the opportunities that I got and so right. on. Right. I mean, taking a loan does not make you wealthier. You can take the loan, but it's unclear. I mean, it's it's one thing to take the loan if, and the kid goes and they are aware that the family is in debt and so they have to really, really work hard and get a job and get good grades and maybe finish early if they can. But I don't see that in the average student. I mean, some students are like that. The average student does not feel any or feel too much uh, urgency yeah. to do that. Well, I, I think you hit on the main point, which is that as a parent, if you went to college, it's very hard not to send your child to college. And there's kind of as a result of that, this intergenerational uh, ratchet effect that you can only increase in a family line, you can only increase the likelihood that children will go to college, you can't decrease it. Um, it's probably very, very rare that, that, uh, that one generation is less likely to go to college than the previous generation. Um, and, you know, when you have this ratchet effect, you kind of have this automatic growth in demand. Um, and when you have automatic growth in demand, you're going to have automatic growth in prices. So um, I think that's, that's really it. I mean, thinking, thinking to yourself, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, not, you know, how, how in some cases people should not go to college, I think it's very hard for people when it comes to their own children to guide them against going to college. And I hope that that changes. And, um, you know, I hope that like, uh, I have the courage to make, give the right guidance, mm -hmm. uh, when I have to do that, if I have to do that. Um, but I think it's very hard. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, I think, uh, I think that was a, that was a good, good talk about, about colleges and, uh, Thanks for that. Uh, we're still figuring out how to how to wrap up these conversations. So, um, uh, so thanks for for the talk, and uh, 
we'll stop there. All right.